0: Hello, all, and welcome to the Plexus podcast series. We hope you enjoy our podcast today with our very own Brad Johnson and J.P. Novin, as they sit down with the president of Marymount University, Dr. Irma Viserra. In the beginning, she shares the start of her academic and professional worlds that took her from Cuba up to Florida and eventually to Arlington, Virginia. From there, she shares insights on how she chose engineering, her vision of innovation and change from Marymount University, as well as answers questions from our founder, JP Novin, where she includes a call to action for all of our listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and share.
1: Welcome to the Plexus Podcast Series. We are so happy to have. Uh, Dr. Irma Bucera with us today, the president of Marymount University in Virginia. How are you doing today?
2: How are you, Brad? And JP, it's wonderful to be here with you both, as well as with everyone that is joining us to the podcast.
1: Well, excellent. Well, we're very excited for a very informative and, and fun podcast. We love doing these. So why don't we go ahead and take you back a little bit? Maybe you can spend a few minutes on your background and why education became your career and your passion?
2: Well, great question, Brad. Uh, First, I wanna share with the audience uh, that I was born in Cuba, and I immigrated to the US with my parents when I was just an infant to escape the Castro revolution. I then lived in Puerto Rico through high school, and as, as most Cubans, we had to start again from nothing. We didn't have any of our assets uh, with us uh, growing up. So we of course faced many, many uh, challenges, in particular financial challenges. Um, But I have to tell you that my formative experiences gave me a passion for knowledge. And my grandparents would always tell me remember, no matter what happens, no one can ever take away your education. And clearly this is a result of the experience we've had uh, uh, as immigrants. So I went on to college. I earned both my bachelor's and master's degrees in electrical engineering from University of Miami, and then went on to work at Florida Power and Light. And later on, I decided to continue my education. So by then I had two kids, you know, my son Anthony was two and my daughter Nicole was six. When I decided to go back to school to get my doctorate and actually became the first woman to earn a PhD in engineering from Florida International University. And you can imagine that I commonly took classes where I was the only woman in the the classroom. Um, So I got used to it, right? I just worked a little harder and and made it through okay. Uh, After I graduated, I worked for a NASA founded center at the University of Florida. And later on, I would join the faculty at FIU's College of Business. Uh, when, When you start in the academic world, you start as an assistant professor. So I would spend the next 12 years Uh, working to first become tenured associate professor, later on a full professor in management information systems. I founded a research lab, the FIU's Knowledge Management Lab, and I worked on many research projects in the area of knowledge management, which is my area of research. And primarily uh, NASA funded a lot of my projects. After I became a um, full professor, I spent some time at MIT at the Center for Information Systems Research as a Sloan scholar. And later on, I would discover that I could make a greater impact on more lives if I went the administration route. So I left the classroom and the research lab and served in a set of different positions at FIU, including Entrepreneurship Center Director, I was a Vice Provost, a Vice President, then was uh, recruited to St. Thomas University as their Provost and Chief Academic Officer. And then in the summer of 2018, I was selected as Marymount's seventh president and moved to Arlington. And this is where I got started as um, Marymount's uh, University President.
3: Wow, what a journey. (laughs) Wow. Yes. Yeah. Very impressive.
2: Thank you. Thank you. So I've been moving up north, right? North from Cuba to uh, well kind of not north to Puerto Rico, but from Puerto Rico, north to Miami. A lot of people say, oh, you move north to Miami? Yeah. <laughs> the Caribbean and then north again now to the DC metro area, which is really spectacular. I really enjoying this experience. Yeah.
1: Now, what do you miss about uh, what do you miss about research now that you're more in in an administrative role?
2: Yes, Uh, you know, to have the opportunity to create knowledge uh, is just such an amazing experience. And of course, the direct uh, engagement with our with my students. Um, to be able to stretch their imagination in terms of the things that they were doing when they were working in the research lab. Like I remember, I would ha- sometimes have students that start working with me, and they they are like, "What does research mean? What does what does? Can you explain that to my mom? Because we, I don't know what it means. I can't explain it to her either. So I actually did that for a few of my students." Uh, spoke to one of them that wanted to study a doctorate and I, and my task was to explain to her mom why it was a good thing for her to continue to the doctorate and not take on a job right away as an engineer, um, and, uh, and she did, and she continued on to get her doctorate and professor. So what can I say, um, that I do miss that, but I have to tell you I love chatting with students. All the students here at Marymount always we chat, they know who I am. I love that, that part. And I really don't want to lose that opportunity because at the end of the day, we're here for them and to make their experience amazing. So, yeah.
1: Now, let me ask you, how did you get into engineering?
2: <laughs> so another thing I tell parents, I had no idea what I was going to study when I started college and I, uh, To be frankly honest, Brad, I actually wanted to be a journalist at first, but you know my grandmother I was living with my grandma at that time she was a very practical woman and she wanted me to study a practical degree like pharmacy. And so I'm like Okay, so I started as a chemistry major and I was not very good at the chemistry lab, which explains why i'm not good at the kitchen either. And actually, I remember that there was a time that I had all this chemical spill, and I'm like, okay, I don't think this is for me. So then I thought about studying mathematics and computer science, so change majors. And I really liked computer science and really took a class in engineering and electrical engineering classes and elective. And I really loved logic and just fell in love with that study of logic. And that's how I decided to change my major at the end of my sophomore year to electrical engineering. So I always like to tell that story in particular for parents because sometimes they're they're very frustrated. They want their kids to know right from the first day what they want to study. And and I think that there is an opportunity for you to discover your passion um, and what your purpose is through your careers. Actually, we use that motto here at Marymount, learn with purpose. and still graduating for years, right? Because I know parents, I have made that promise to them that, you know, we're going to graduate your son daughter within four years, because I am, I recognize that this is an investment, and we want to really make them most out of that investment. So, but letting students take the time to figure out where their passions are, so that you, you know, like they say, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life, and that's that's how I feel. I love what I do, so <laughs> I'm happy to work because I enjoy it so much.
3: And by the way, it shows <laughs> your, your excitement and and your love for higher education just shows through you talking about it.
2: Thank you, thank you, JP. I appreciate that very much.
3: So when we
1: look at at Marymount today, um, you know, there's a lot of institutions out there. You know, there's a lot of choices that students and parents can make. Um, how do you look at Marymount? Um, how are you able to compete, not just today, but when you look at five, ten years from now? Um, how do you how have you positioned Marymount to continue to be successful and continue to compete in a, in a pretty saturated marketplace?
2: Yeah, wonderful question. Um, We have a strategic plan, uh, Brad, that we unveiled just a few months after I started here at Marymount uh, during my inauguration. And the name of our strategic plan is Momentum. And anybody in an audience that wants to learn more, you can um, Google Marymount University strategic plan and you'll get land on the page that has the details. But I just want to briefly tell our audience that we have a new vision for Marymount, is that Marymount, a leading Catholic university, will be nationally recognized for innovation and commitment to student success, alumni achievement, and faculty and staff excellence. And the, some of the, one, this vision, of course, has some key words. One is innovation. And I have to tell you, we are having so much fun here um uh, working with the provost the faculty but also our entire staff to really uh infuse innovation in our curriculum offerings Uh, we want uh, the careers that we offer our students to really reflect uh, both societal needs as well as the market needs and to be the careers of the 21st century Um, So we are um, doing all kinds of interesting things from restructuring our academic infrastructure for interdisciplinarity to embedding modules on how artificial intelligence is going to change each discipline. So so the signature of innovation in terms of what we do and our programmatic offerings is very much what differentiates our education. In in addition to that, we've always offered a very personalized education to our students and actually our four pillars that anchor our strategic plan are really uh, about what Marymount education is, what is our distinctive identity. Um, We were founded by a group of religious sisters that had this idea about educating women for work. 70 years ago, and even though we are now co-educational, we, our education is also very practical oriented. This idea that that, um, that we are educating for market and societal needs, it's still that practical focus is still very much distinctive about Marymount education. Also the fact that our education is transformative and many of our alums credit their Marymount experience for enabling them to be where they are today. Um, that we are part of a vibrant community. As a matter of fact, we are dubbed Arlington's university because we are the only university that is anchored here in Arlington. And also that we are working towards the university's sustainable future. So another key ingredient uh, of our of our strategic plan is that we're fostering an entrepreneurial culture here at Marymount so again and that's you're going to see that when as you see new programmatic offerings that are that were launched this year extremely successful and that we're planning for next year for example engineering will be offered at um, Marymount for the first time ever in next year's fall and of course, you're probably thinking, I'm doing this, we're doing this because I'm an engineer, the provost is an engineer. But no, there is a huge need for uh, STEM graduates. And we feel that our population, we are co ed, but still majority women. And then we are also uh, Hispanic serving institutions. So we are a very diverse university. So if our nation needs more diverse STEM graduates, Then we're going to increase the number of STEM offerings here at Marymount so we can also address really uh, a need that is for a nation to remain uh, a a global competitive uh, among other nations in the world.
3: And JP, I know you had some questions as well. Absolutely. So for our audience, I, I do want to point out that Marymount is very unique. A as you mentioned, a huge Hispanic population. You have more women than men in your college. High retention rate. People actually, you've kept your promise. People see the value. Uh, you have one of the highest retention rates in Virginia, um, and also STEM driven. So the whole there's a lot of discussion between analytical knowledge and practical knowledge. So so you you're really providing both uh, and you're incubating both types of students which which kind of brings me to this question so you know there's this huge debate obviously with test optional this kind of started showing itself which is in a recent book i read um, by uh, michael Sandel on tyranny of merit they looked at he referred to a study that they looked at 1800 universities private, public, and what they found out is that fewer than 2% of students who come from the bottom 20% of income scale actually end up rising to the top 20% of income scale. You know, I mean, the whole goal of education has been to have this fair meritocracy and some people think that that hasn't really panned out. So I'll be very curious on how Meridon is tackling this and what's your point of view is of, of, of some of the criticism of higher education being the conduit to, uh, you know, the the social economical status ladder.
2: Okay, so le- that's a very... Uh, JP, you, uh, you gave me a hard question. <laughs> But let's see how i tackle it there's many many as important aspects to your question okay. i think one of the issues maybe that you touched on is that in higher ed we we have embedded certain barriers to mm-hmm. access that are still um, that, that they were not maybe created as barriers for access but over the years, they've had that unintended consequence. So let's start start out by kind of taking a little history um, tour. That the first university that that the first universities that were established, not only here in the United States but around the world, were educating uh, religious men. Right, that was the whole purpose. And these men were were all white and they were all Protestant because those were the ones that really got here to the United States first. And then as time went on, um, we had the need to educate Blacks that had previously been in slavery and they were forbidden from being educated. And after the emancipation, uh, we saw the need to educate blacks, but they were not allowed. They were not allowed access to the universities of that time, so that's how HBCUs came about. And then women, women wanted to get educated, but women were also not granted access at the traditional universities, so women's colleges came about, and that's about where Marymount came about in 70 years ago. Was originally a women's college. But then you also see new immigrants coming to this country um, who were, many of them were Catholic but they were also of Jewish faith and others. And they were not granted in the universities of the time. So Catholic universities come about to really provide access to immigrants. So this fantastic fabric of universities that we have in in our nation, elite schools, public schools that come out of the land grant opportunities that are established in each of the states. uh, And they were really there to research uh, problems that were important to the state. For example, uh, how to make agriculture or um, issues related to agriculture, how to resolve that. So the research at the University of Florida maybe had to deal with um, the orange, Uh, Growers, How to make them more resilient. So you see universities come about to solve, to help solve some of the problems that the localities were facing, in particular the land-grant universities. So as a result, fast forward to today, we have this really extraordinary fabric of universities, each one different and each one willing to meet our students right where they are. And not only having an incredible responsibility to educate our country's youth, as well as uh, increasingly our, um, our, you know, what I say, um, uh, old old timers or maybe uh, long timers, learners of all ages, because every discipline is is getting more complex. Knowledge is being created a really higher rates every day so requires for people to continue to learn not only stop when you graduate from college but continue to learn even into your adult life so universities have really an evolving role in in keeping uh, our nation moving forward but then some of the things that were created for a specific purpose maybe are no, may not longer be necessary. So you, you mentioned test optional. Remember, there was a time where the high schools uh, were educating students. You know, they, they were not, not standard maybe requirements among all the high schools in the nation. So a uh, test was used to, to actually engage the readiness of a, of a student. And it was okay to create a test that it worked pretty well when all the students looked the same, but as students come from different backgrounds and and different ethnicities, maybe they have grown up with multilingual families or multicultural families, then it's harder for this test to gauge the readiness of a student. So for example, uh, I grew up in Puerto Rico where Spanish was my first language and frankly my verbal SAT it's not something to be proud of because you know I did not have the vocabulary that I would have had if I would have grown up in Boston and uh, it's just a byproduct of my environment so while my math score was excellent my verbal score maybe would not allow me to have entry in many universities. So it's a it's a bias that was not intentional, but that as you look at students that have multi, maybe from multicultural experiences, then the test doesn't necessarily gauge their readiness or predict their success in college, uh, as well as if you were coming from a homogeneous uh, group and it'd be easier for that test to predict it did i answer your
3: oh my gosh, that answer <laughs> was amazing i mean you you went through the whole historical aspect of how these tests came i mean the goal of tests was to make it create meritocracy because you're right before the 1950s you didn't even have to have a good grade to go to ivy league or to a lot of universities you just had to be from a boarding school and what have you so it the, the the intention was always good. It's just the world has has evolved, and um, and and I think we're evolving with it. And um, I love your answer when it comes to lifelong learning. So the 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 role of higher education is becoming even more pronounced. Um, which which I'm th- this this question should be. Uh, it's also in the forefront, which is you know, I I was reading some articles with UNESCO because they, they, and World Bank, they keep giving out these predictions in the future. And one of the things they talked about was the role of artificial intelligence. And and there are various forecasts that in next, you know, 15 to 30 years, you know, 30 to 40% of jobs may be taken over by AI. And it puts universities in a very interesting position. Is how do you train students for jobs that are not have not been created yet? Yeah. And so uh, I'll be curious on your point of view on that. Yeah,
2: and that's a, a great, great point that we are about to experience uh, a new revolution by, uh, you know, the artificial intelligence contribution to every discipline. And just like the industrial revolution changed many things many jobs many disciplines just like the internet changed many things many disciplines many jobs ai is it's it's about it's starting already to do it to do the same thing so so we have two responsibilities one is that we do need to educate students on how ai will change that particular discipline that they're studying and we have started incorporating with the collaboration of MITRE Corporation. Some mm-hmm. modules, for example, in the in health courses or in a interior design courses, how is AI going to redefine your field? And, and I agree with the prediction that many jobs will change, just like many jobs change by the Industrial Revolution and the internet, right? Just, Think about, for example, the the job of the realtor. It used to be that you could only look at listings through your realtor, and now you see them all online. So, as as a result, the job of a realtor has changed dramatically uh, by the internet, and many many careers were redefined, including uh, the job of a travel agent. Right? Who, hardly anybody con- consults a hard, a travel agent these days. Well, that was that was a a profession that was redefined. So some of the professions that are about to be redefined are very large professions like drivers, as we are looking at the possibility of driverless vehicles. And that is very much a reality. I mean, that technology is being tested as we speak. Um, So also if you look at AI in in health, Uh, the use of um, uh, AI to help diagnose diseases. How many of us go to WebMD and try to understand what's going on even before we look at the doctor and even uh, do a little bit of self-analysis of what could be going on with this headache that doesn't leave me, right? So um, yeah, I think that I was just sharing how it, a few minutes ago with someone how when I went to school to college I studied Fortran and I did a lot of coding in Fortran and basic no one learns that anymore when I went back to college for my doctorate it was C uh, and C++ that you would learn to program and that that no one talks about that and now we talk about Ruby and Rails and Python so every every discipline is redefine, and I just think what is different now, JP, is the rate of change. Things are changing a lot faster, and that's why this importance of lifelong learners. Um, So even for people that are in industry that want to continue to retool themselves, what we are offering is these stackable certificates, so you can design your own master's degree And when you think about flexibility for uh, lifelong learners, you tend to think about face-to-face versus online, but giving lifelong learners the flexibility to really kind of design their own master's degrees. They can decide what are the areas that they want to put together that best help them, say, move forward in their profession. So here we have numerous stackable certificates. Maybe you want to take one in cloud computing, Uh, and um, together with one in leadership and project management. And that's really what you need to be successful in your new appointment. Uh, Or maybe not cloud computing, you want to do cybersecurity, cybersecurity coupled with analytics. So this idea of giving you flexibility to really build your own masters with the purpose of preparing you for your next promotion, your next job, maybe you want to change careers, Uh, but this whole opportunity to create degrees that that really are very important for the lifelong learner in in order for them to continue to develop themselves.
3: Wow. I'm going to pace myself because you bring such excellent points. Um, And and just to to be respectful on the time, I'm I'm definitely going to be sending you some questions later. Uh, on, on different topics I, I love your insight and, and this whole message so wh- what do you want to leave our students and, and anyone that's going to to listen to this podcast how is Marymount different today and how is it going to keep changing what, what is the, the main differentiator for students as they start considering higher education and why should they really take a closer look at Marymount as a
2: so number 1 what defines a Marymount education I'm going to give you some keywords is innovative it's responding to market and societal societal needs and very personalized every every individual is important because we are about education of the whole person also we want students to graduate in 4 years or less so it's important that research shows that that if the longer you take to complete a degree, then life starts getting in the way. You start experiencing barriers that make it more and more difficult to graduate. And I want to continue to stress the degree. I think we've had numerous years that we've had so many skeptics uh, questioning about the value of the degree. And I had to tell you, This pandemic has given me an opportunity for a number of aha moments. One is that many futurists had said that universities would disappear, that all their learning would be online. And what we have learned through this experience and listening to our students, in particular the group 18 to 22, they don't like to learn online because they miss out on the equally important learning experiences that happen in the dorm, in the cafeteria, in the classroom, learning from each other as much as it is learning from the professor. And that type of, uh, that platform for knowledge exchange and growth that, that exists at the university cannot be replaced by online. That number one. Number two, the value of the degree. During this pandemic, we've been able to see firsthand that the only people that were able to choose to work remotely were those that had a college degree. So if we want to build a nation that is resilient to pandemics, we need to make it a point that we need to put all our efforts in all our students really reaching the college degree because when you don't get the college degree, opportunities are just not available to you. So, in, so whatever we need to make that a possibility to make sure that we put all our efforts in every one of our college students to get to the finish line, that has to be for us, for our nation, our top priority. And realize that some students in particular those that are first generation, first ones in their families to go to college, well, they need perhaps more support because they're trying to figure out this complicated maze on their own. So it's a proven fact that every student, no matter where they're at, from an elite school to a community college will feel something called the imposter syndrome where they say, this is too hard for me. I don't think I belong here. I don't think I'm gonna make it. And I think it's our responsibility to make sure that we instill in every one of our students the confidence that they're where they're supposed to be and that they are gonna get to graduation. How can we help them? How can we support them? And I know everyone that is in our audience, if you don't have a son or daughter in college or a nephew or a niece, or maybe it's it's a daughter or son of a friend, give them a call and tell them how important it is, what they're doing, going to college and how you're there for anything that they need so that they get to the graduation. I think that type of mentorship support, having somebody that will listen to them, what are some of their concerns, and being able to give that, that build that confidence so they, they cross the finish line. I think everybody has that responsibility and I'm going to charge all our audience to give one student a call today and tell them congratulations, keep going, there's never been a better time to be in college than now How can I help you? How can I be supportive of you? And I want to see, JP, if you poll our audience, I want to find out how many did it, okay? How many did it? Because I'm looking forward for them to be involved with our call for action.
3: Perfect. That's all I have, Brad. Those were. I have a lot of other questions, but this was awesome. I really enjoyed talking to you. We've enjoyed talking to you immensely. Yeah, I, this has
1: been, I mean, nothing short of phenomenal. So thank you so much for, for your time and the education and, and the passion. You know, I think, JP, I think everyone on this call, we're so excited about, about education and what it can do for the lives of, of all of us. And so it's always so exciting to JP and I to hear someone with, with the passion that you have. So thank you very much for your time.
2: You know, Brad, it'd be fun to ask your audience to to send you a little note on on if they did it and how did it go.
3: And we maybe,
1: will be happy to do that. Yeah, you know,
2: maybe you can read some of their experiences on the on the podcast. And I mean, I don't know. I think that that way you kind of create some uh, interactivity with your audience, and they can they can say how they they took that they took you know. They answer the call for action.
1: I think that's a great idea. And that can be another component to the podcast, kind of a follow-up, you know, to the original podcast. And here's the feedback that came about from
3: from the audience. I, I, I love that idea. And we'll, we'll definitely take that on. Uh, you know what? One of the things we do, we actually also transcribe the podcast. So th- that is also shared and, and bits and pieces are shared. And so, um, again, it's not just for our Current students on Plexus, but anyone who also joins, um, uh, the you know the, the the platform will get a chance to look at them. We also make recommendations as far as them reading it, and what have you. So, uh, but one thing that uh, we we definitely would love to do is next time Brad or I are in Virginia, we'd love to let you know in advance, and hopefully we can meet in person. And we we do a lot of Plexus has a Plexus Labs. We, we we do some cutting edge stuff and uh, we, we would love to share with you some out of the box thinking that we do. So for a college, for example, recently, we built a kind of like their own LinkedIn college site. So everyone could um, network with alumni of this school, current students and future students, they could make posts, but it's all under one umbrella. So they, they they were brave enough to t- take it upon them. So we do a lot of little experiments because we have so much technology and we think that, you know, it's not always just building buildings as good as they are, but we also need to kind of build these endowments in the cloud as well. Um, I, I do agree that the, nothing replaces physical, but uh, we'd we love to share some additional ideas on how we're tackling these issues as well.
2: I love that idea of the LinkedIn between students and alum. I, I would really like to explore if we could do that. That sounds phenomenal.
3: Super. We'll, we'll send you some stuff. And uh, Brad is not too far from you. So okay. uh, we're not too But thank you so much. I, we really enjoyed it. And thanks, Nick, for all the help you, you provided as well. Nick is
2: fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward for you to visit. I'm looking forward to meeting you guys in person.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate it. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode with Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia. You can also find us on these social media channels on Instagram at Plexisgram that's P-L-E-X-U-S-S-Gram on Twitter at Plexus Updates, P-L-E-X-U-S-S Updates on YouTube at Plexus Social Media. And we can also be found on Facebook at Plexus. Thank you again. And we hope you can join us on our next episode. Please remember to subscribe and share within your own network.